to Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 15. You know, um, this is Ben Tree, and he's a really good reader. I've put the mockers on him now, but he's a, he's a really good reader at youth group. Crystal clear. Thanks, Ben. All right. Good evening, everyone. Um, today's reading will be from Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 23. All right. All right. Um, is there a projection or? All right. There we go. All right. The supremacy of Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that everyone, everything he might have, sorry, everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you are alienated from God and your enemies and your, in, your, in your minds because of your evil behaviour, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you, his, you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you, continue, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held, hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and ha, that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have been, become a servant. Um, Coldstream Guards, I think that they're called. And uh, I love them because they're, they look so good, don't they? You know, all dressed in red with their tall, furry hats. Uh, you see them in uh, London, uh, standing outside the gates of you know, important places like Buckingham Palace, where the, the king lives. And uh, they, may not, they may look like ornaments, but they're actually highly trained soldiers. And what impresses people most about these guys is their ability to, um, to stand firm, to look straight ahead, to not move for hours, not being distracted by anything. Um, I wonder what sort of things you think might be the main distractions that distract these guys when they're doing it. What do you reckon? The, the flies, maybe? Um, the heat? Well, how about that guy? <laughs> how about that guy? Uh, Mr Bean. But you don't need to be... It's not just Mr Bean that does it. It's um, all sorts of tourists. They just love getting uh, selfies of them trying to an annoy and distract these, uh, these soldiers. But uh, even when they, they do that, see this guy? They stand like statues without expression, not moving, standing firm, no matter what's going on around them, which is enough of Mr Bean. But uh, I think it's also, in some ways, it's a very kind of a helpful picture of, um, the, of the attitude that we should have in life uh, towards, uh, towards Jesus and towards the gospel. I mean, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have any expression, um, but that we should actually stand firm and not move away from Jesus. We should stand firm in our faith because 
we can be very easily distracted, don't you reckon? Um, and we can find ourselves kind of moving away from Jesus. Uh, sometimes it's because we uh, think that in order to be truly happy, that we need something else. We need something better than what Jesus is offering. Um, like, for example, the approval of our friends, you know, our friends at school or at work or wherever. We like to think that um, uh, we, we crave after the approval of our friends who don't actually know Jesus and don't love him. And so we find ourselves then kind of behaving like other people and doing things which we know are wrong, but we do them just in order to fit in. Um, or it might be that we're distracted from, away from Jesus because we, we want to really achieve well at school or achieve well at work. Um, but, and that's a good thing, isn't it? It's great to do well at school, but we can do that in a way that um, actually then becomes more important to us than loving and obeying Jesus. Um, or and here's another one. This is a tricky one. We could find ourselves wanting a, a kind of spiritual life which seems exciting, but actually it actually takes us a little bit away from Jesus. That can happen as well. Um, it was that last kind of distraction that, that actually caused the Apostle Paul to, to write a letter to a church in a, in a city which was called Colossae. And uh, let me first explain a bit about what the temptation was for those Christians in that city called Colossae. And then we'll see how that helps us and helps us to make sure we don't get distracted uh, away from Christ. The problem was that there were, there were people inside those, the churches who made people think that believing in Jesus was not quite enough. Um, you know, Christ is the beginning of the Christian life. Yep, absolutely. But if you want to be truly spiritual, if you want to be a completely um, satisfied Christian, then you need something more um, like, a, like a special mystical experience, that that'll do the trick. Um, or some of them, some people said that um, in order to be truly spiritual Christian, that uh, you had to deprive your body of um, the good gifts that God gives you, like um, going on a special diet, for example, where you can't eat certain foods, not because you're trying to lose weight, but because it's going to be really, it's going to make you feel a bit unwell. <laughs> And that's a really good thing, they would say, because you're more spiritual that way. Some people even said that in order to be, have that full spiritual experience, that you needed to inflict pain on your body. Can you imagine that? I mean, uh, you know, torture yourself. And that might actually make you, you know, feel like you're having a spiritual experience, but you're actually, you know, sort of zonking out, um, that kind of thing. So that was what was going on. It sounds crazy, but it was happening and so in tonight's passage, Paul reminds these Christians of two great truths, two really great truths. So firstly, who Christ is, who Jesus is, and secondly, what he has done for us. Now, people have got all sorts of different views about who Jesus is, don't they? Um, some say that, um, <clears throat> well, Jesus... Uh, he was a really good teacher who taught us some great morals for living our lives. Have you ever heard that? Really good teacher. Other people think, well, he's just like, um, 
he's like, uh, he was the founder of a great religion, like um, Buddha or like Mohammed. He's kind of like that. But Paul, in Colossians 1, makes some amazing claims about Jesus. Um, have a look at verses 15 and 16. You can see them on the screen behind you. He says about Jesus, he says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all of creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. Sounds like he's more than just a great teacher, doesn't he? Or uh, some guy that started up a religion. Um, he's the creator. He's saying, Paul is saying that Jesus is God the creator. Um, let me ask you this. <clears throat> Outside of church or, or youth group, um, do you uh, sometimes find it hard to um, get into spiritual conversations with your friends at school? You know, is it is it is it is it is it easy to talk to your non-Christian friends at school about about God and Jesus? Gen generally not. It's often not the case. And if that's how you find it, then I reckon that's pretty normal. Because there's a lot of people who go through life as if God doesn't exist. Some people even say that um, they they even claim that he doesn't exist. There's no such thing as God. And yet, you know what? I reckon you only have to open your eyes, don't you? And, and look around you. Uh, look, at the, uh, look, at the, look at the sky on a, on a clear night. Look at the stars. Look at the moon. Look at the sun in the daytime. It's amazing. And if you don't want to look up, just look sideways or look down. Look around you. Check out, you know, all of the amazing things that are around us that actually tell us that, um, hey, these things didn't happen by chance, that there's a bit of design and engineering and architecture going on uh, in the world we live in. There's, uh, look, there's countless examples that I could show you, there's countless mil billions of examples, but let me introduce you to this guy tonight. Let me introduce you to this guy. He is called, and it could be a she, uh, so let's go for it, all right? It is called the, uh, the, the Diving Bell Spider. That's a photo uh, underwater. That's underwater because uh, this, this guy, can, that covers male and female these days, doesn't it, guy? Uh, this guy spends all of, his, all of its life underwater. And yet, it's not a fish and it needs to breathe. So how does that happen? Well, this is what's really incredible. Um, the spider uh, weaves this uh, incredibly um, silky kind of uh, home for itself under the water. Uh, it creates this little home for itself and then it fills it up with oxygen. How does it do that? Well, on its body, its legs and its body, it's got all these little fine furry kind of hairs and what the spider does is it goes, it goes up to the top of the water, up to the surface, and does a few sort of um, somersaults. And when it does that, it accumulates, it develops little bubbles of air on its, on its hairy surface, its hairy legs and its hairy body. And then with those bubbles, 
It dives back down to the little silky home that's created and puts the bubbles inside the silky home. Then heads straight back up to the surface again, does a few tumbles, gets the bubbles, goes back down and repeats that over and over again until its little tiny silky home is filled with, with air. With air. It's got oxygen in it. And home sweet home. Home sweet home. In fact, in fact, when it gets to the point where it's breathed out all the oxygen, if the oxygen uh, level within its, you know, its, its silky little home, if the oxygen level inside that uh, gets to a lower ratio than the oxygen in the water that surrounds the home, somehow, and I can't understand this, but it actually takes the oxygen out of the water and brings it into the home. Um, and the uh, spider can live there happily ever after, except for excursions to go out to, to try to kill some other things and bring them back and eat away. Now, scientists can explain how that happens. I can't explain it. They, they say that this guy, this submarine home, is more technologically advanced than what we can produce. And, you know, wow, isn't Mother Nature wonderful? <laughs> no, you've got to be kidding. There is incredible design. There is in, there's, in, there's ingenuity in that. There's incredible design. There is engineering. And it all tells me one thing, and that is that there is a... There's a God. There's a creator. There's a creator. And uh, you know what? That's just a tiny spider that you've probably never heard of before, and it can do that. Um, we can see the creation, can't we? because the creation is visible. Now, some people say, well, hang on a moment, if you want me to believe in God, show me God. Well, we can't show you God, because God is not visible, God is invisible. He's spirit, God is invisible. But you know what? God has made himself known to us. God has um, connected and communicated with us in the, the most the most brilliant way by becoming one of us. And Paul says that the Son, that's Jesus, is the likeness of the invisible God. He's the likeness of the invisible God. Now, that's not what, it's not like when someone says to you, hey, you're the spitting image of your um, your mum or your dad. It's something different to that. Something different. See, in verse 19, um, Paul says of Jesus, he says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in, in him, in Jesus. Now, notice a bit of repetition there, because he could have said God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in Jesus, but he doesn't say God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in Jesus. He says God was pleased to have all of his fullness in Jesus. He doesn't have to repeat that, does he? But what the point that's being made here is that there is nothing about God which is not in Christ, which is not in Jesus. Um, in verse 15, Paul describes Jesus as being the firstborn over all of creation. Now, that doesn't mean that he was born in the sense that he was, you know, God made Jesus, um, as if there was a time when, you know, Christ didn't exist. Now, in verse 16, all things were created by him, and for him, because Jesus is the creator. 
Jesus is God. And you know what? Like the firstborn son in, any, uh, in, in the Bible times, that means that he's actually the inheritor of everything which there is. He owns the lot. How about that? You know, there was a, a non-Christian guy who was, um, I'd spent some time with and uh, he'd been thinking about Jesus for a while and not quite getting it. And then he came and saw me one time and he, he was so happy, you know, smile from one ear to the other. And he said, hey, Scott, I've figured it out. I've got some good news for you. He said, I reckon I understand. I realise now that Jesus is the very centre of the universe. That without him, it would all stop. In fact, it wouldn't exist. He said to me, it's all about Jesus. Wow. In verse 17, Paul says, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. So Jesus is the image of God, but he is not a created being. Right? However, there is, there is a created being who is the image of God. Who do you think that might be? Hey, that's us. That's you and me. We are made in the image of God and we are created beings. And yet, you know what? Um, what this means is that we're really special because that spider, that spider doesn't have a clue, you know, what's going on. And that's got, that spider doesn't, you know, sit in its little submarine house and having, you know, profound thoughts about who created it, you know, about God. Um, that's something which is reserved for us as human beings. And God has made us with a consciousness of him. Um, it, it's how we're wired. God has made us for relationship with himself, to love him, to honour him, to obey him, to trust in him. And you know what? Problem is, that that's not how we live. <laughs> we don't live that way. You know, Paul says in verse 21, there he reminds these Colossians of who they once were. Check it out, verse 21. He says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behaviour. I wonder if you've ever felt alienated from someone. It's terrible, isn't it? It's awful. You know what it's like? Um, you, uh, you see them at school or you see them down the road and it's just really obvious that they don't want to know you. And you, you feel like there's nothing you can do about that. That you can't you, re you reach out to them and they just turn their back and it's dreadful because there's a barrier between you and them you know in our natural state there is a barrier between us and god because none of us has actually treated god the way we should none of us has loved god in the way that we should or honored him or obeyed him um you know, if you want to ask the question, well, is the world um, living God's way or not? It's a pretty easy solution to finding out that question. Just check out any news website on any day and read about the strife and the violence and the wars and corruption and so on. But, you know, you don't even have to do that. We only have to look at our own lives, don't we, sometimes? And we realise that, hey, 
um, none of us have actually put God first in our lives either because we tend to live with ourselves at the centre. And that's why we're alienated from God. That means that God, well, he's got every right to judge us. It's what we deserve. So we've heard about who Christ is. We've heard a bit about who we are as well. Big question is, what has Jesus done for us? Verse 22, But now God, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Now that is extraordinary. That on the great day of judgment, you know, we who were alienated from God because of our sin would now be able to stand before God, the judge, with a clean record. No blemish. No accusation against us. At peace with God. Not because of how good we are, but because he, for, through whom and for whom all things were made, hung on a cross for us. For when Jesus hung and bled and died on the cross, no, that was not the death of some you know, um, great religious leader. It wasn't the death of some you know, you know, moral crusader. It was the death of the one in whom all of the fullness of God dwells who made all things, and he died on the cross. He died for us so that he he would take on the penalty for our sin. He paid the price for us so that we could be forgiven. Now, when you think about who Jesus is and the fact that he died on the cross, uh, do you think that his death on the cross was enough to pay for your sins? I reckon so. Um, What about, do you think that his death on the cross was enough to pay for the sins of every person? Yeah, it was enough. Absolutely, because he's God. Um, But his death on the cross pays for the sin of all people, any person who puts their trust in Jesus and turns back to God. You know, I heard something really, really helpful from um, one of our youth group members um, or someone who'd been in our youth group uh, up until a number of years ago. And uh, she was asked, the question was, um, what's it like being a Christian um, teenager at school? How do you feel being a Christian teenager at school? And uh, this girl said, well, sometimes you feel a bit weird. (laughs) That's what she said. And she said, because everyone else, they're all trying to find their identity. Um, They're trying to discover who they are. And they they do that by by doing things because they're trying to be accepted by other people. And they're doing things which, which seem really cool or are made out to be really cool but they're not always very helpful, Um, not for them uh, and not even for their acceptance. Whereas she said, as a Christian, 
I've actually found my identity already. Um, she said, some people think I'm a bit boring <laughs> when actually I'm very comfortable with who I am in Jesus. I think it's really important and I wonder if that's, I wonder if that's true of you as well. Have you trusted in Jesus? I mean, maybe you've um, been coming to church and coming to youth group for, uh, you know, for a while now and you've been, you've been learning about Jesus and you know who he is. You know what he's done for you on the cross. And when you think about it, you really know that you need to be forgiven. You need his forgiveness. You need that peace. But you haven't put your trust in Jesus yet. Um, maybe you've still got questions about that and uh, that's a good thing because we need to think about our questions so that we're actually making an informed decision when we put our trust in Jesus. But if you've still got questions about Jesus and about um, uh, the gospel, then why not talk to someone? Um, uh, there's plenty of people here tonight who'd be happy to talk to you. Maybe uh, have a chat with someone over the dinner as well. That would be really good. Or maybe it's time to take that step, um, to take that step, even tonight, um, to pray to God, to thank him for Jesus and to ask him to forgive you and change your life forever. Because that's what it takes, a simple prayer, just asking God for forgiveness and he'll change your life forever. So, so you'll be able to be that person who, who says, well, actually... Um, people think I'm a bit boring, but actually it's because I'm really, I'm really comfortable in my own skin because I found who I am and my identity in the creator who died for me. Um, you know, the Apostle Paul, he wrote to Christians who are being tempted to think that Jesus is, is not enough, that they need more in their lives. Just like we can be tempted to think that Jesus is not enough, that we need to find our identity in the things which our non-Christian friends find their identity in. Um, or we need some better, some more amazing spiritual experience. But if Jesus is God who died for you so that you could be made right with God forever, well, hey, why would you want to move away from that? Why would you want to do that? In the Christian life, uh, we need to be like this guy, don't we? Um, not strict and stern and with a gun like him, <laughs> but standing firm, not flinching, not moving, because there's simply no better place to be than to be in Jesus. In Jesus. Hey, I'm going to pray for us now and... Um, and then we'll uh, be uh, singing a song. So let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for Jesus, for who he is, the incredible uh, creator of the universe. Thank you so much that uh, you um, made yourself clearly visible to us by sending Jesus. And thank you for his amazing love that he died on the cross so that we could no longer be alienated from you, that we would be friends with you forever. And Father, we pray for anyone here tonight who hasn't um, made that um, step of faith as yet, that you would help them uh, to, to work out their issues, their questions, 
and work in their hearts. Help them, Lord God. And we pray for each one of us that we would find our identity in Jesus and stand firm in him all our days. Amen.